Hi, and welcome to a podcast about sports, business, and the business of sports. You are in the game. I am one of your hosts, Vladimir Bosanets, coming in from Seattle, Washington. And in today's show, we chat with Playfly, a new kind of sports marketing firm that is rooted in old school marketing and new digital ventures shaping sports today. Haynes Hendrickson is a senior vice president of business development for the firm, and he is one lucky guy, not just because he has a chance to speak with us, but also because he seems to be at the right place at the right time. And today, that means at the intersection of sports and marketing and innovation. We deep dive with Haynes about Playfly's business, how they do what they do, and why this is important for sports, fans, and everyone else involved. Welcome to the podcast, Haynes. Haynes, welcome. Good to see you. Good to hear from you. Uh, thank you for joining our, our podcast. Thank you very much. Happy to be with you both. Yeah. Where do we find you today? Where, where are you working from? So I live just outside of Philadelphia. Um, our offices are in, um, on the other side of Philadelphia. So I, I live in a suburb in South Jersey um, and have uh, lived in this area for the majority of my life. Excellent. Excellent. A Philly sports fan. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Some good teams there. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you again for taking the time to chat with us. So just by way of introduction, Haynes, uh, tell us a little bit about your background and sort of how you got to Playfly. And then we'll get into, you know, who Playfly is and what you guys do and, uh, and all that kind of detail. Sure. So I definitely classify myself as a person in the right place at the right time throughout my career. And um, I went to college at the University of Vermont and, um, and grew up in the Philly area. And my, my father was in the local rotary uh, group, business rotary group with a VP of marketing at the Philadelphia Phillies. And he said, sure, when your son graduates, uh, we'll give him an internship. So again, lucky guy, right place at the right time. Um, I worked at the Phillies for five years. And then that same individual moved out to help open the Pepsi Center in Denver, Colorado. Okay. So yep. I was fortunate enough to, to move along with him. Um, and I spent six years out in, um, in Denver. But in this creation of, uh, of the Pepsi Center, they realized they wanted somebody to start on this new initiative called database marketing. You know, so I'm dating myself of how far back that is. And I said, well, to get out of game entertainment, sure, I'll be the guy that does that. And being connected with the Denver Nuggets and the NBA, it was the creation of the NBA's Teambo Group, um, who serves as that in-house consultancy to all of the 30 NBA clubs. Okay. And so I learned how to get dangerous with database marketing and market research because I was fortunate to be aligned with the NBA's Teambo Group. Again, lucky me. And so I, I started working more and more in market research and database marketing. I was a client of a company called Turnkey Intelligence. Um, I joined them, which allowed me to move back to the Philadelphia area. I worked there for 15 years leading market research and analytics. And just out of coincidence, last November was introduced to Mike Schreiber, the CEO of Playfly Sports, okay. who, was start, who had just started this company, Playfly, um, and was looking to add to his uh, staff at a corporate level. And um, I guess was not necessarily looking for somebody that had come up through the college athletics ranks um, and somebody with a little different perspective. And again, right place at the right time. Lucky me, I was fortunate <laughs> enough to join this group and yeah. 
I have my seatbelt strapped and um, preparing for every day um, the speed at which this company is going forward. Yeah. So tell us about the formation of uh, Playfly. So you guys are uh, very young, uh, basically uh, third quarter, fourth quarter of uh, 2020s when the company was launched, correct? Correct. So September of 2020. Okay. And then tell us kind of what it came out of, because I think that's also an interesting aspect of the company's genesis. Sure. I mean, it really is the the brainchild of Mike and and giving his background tells you the direction and and how he came up with it. But Mike came up, uh, he'll be the first to tell you, he's not a traditional sports sports guy um, or even collegiate athletics guy. He came up through traditional media. I worked at NBC and Comcast, but he was always the guy that was asked to disrupt the traditional business. How do we get this linear content on a mobile device? How do we get our our Olympics rights that we're paying gobs of money for, how do we get it to online? And so he said he spent most of his career having a lot of people in, you know, across the hall saying, you're killing our business. You know, what are you doing? But he was always tasked with transforming or disrupting the traditional business, following the consumer. So Mike took a look at sports. He always wanted to get into sports. And he said, you know, where, where is it most in need of transformation. And I think as you go from, you know, you've got a lot of national platforms, you know, with the, with pro sports and, and, and the, the platforms that they reside on the ESPN or, or national broadcasters. And that's a pretty installed base. Um, and then you get down into the regional sports networks that, you know, certainly could um, use some assistance in growing their, their businesses. But when you get down even further into collegiate athletics, it's very, very fragmented. You know, the conferences retain in some rights and, and help some of the schools along, but still it's individual universities that are trying to grow their brands. And in many cases, these are national and global brands, sure. but they're yep. operating on a hyper-local budget. Um, so he felt that we could come in, provide some infrastructure, provide platforms for these uh, collegiate athletics, and, and we have a, a, a great high school athletics program uh, business, um, and we could be able to be the, the stimulant to provide some of those resources, give them the platforms to help grow their business, and help lead them through a, a, a time of innovation and transformation. You know, we're also on the heels of, of this part of the business being completely disrupted given COVID. Um, so, you know, right place at the right time and, and being able to enter the business without a lot of bad deals and a, a lot of saddled, saddled with a lot of debt um, and putting together an, an aggressive business model of how we are going to take a traditional collegiate athletics multimedia rights business and, and use digital and use technology to really innovate and transform the business. And then specifically, when you talk about sort of the sort of multifaceted, you know, things that you guys do, Haynes, what does that specifically mean? I know like on, on your website, you know, you can sort of identify certain, you know, whether you call them verticals or offerings. I don't know how, how you guys refer to them, but, but tell us about that specifically also. Yeah. So the core part of our business and what we wanted to lay as the foundation is, is what I refer to as the traditional multimedia rights business. We were able to get access to two great operating businesses that were part of much larger companies. So they were non-core assets. So Outfront Sports was a small division of Outfront Outdoor. 
And we were able to acquire that business. They operated about 20 properties and did a tremendous job, a tremendously successful job in growing those individual properties. Um, We also were able to acquire Fox Sports College Properties, which is a small division of Fox. um, And again, not a core asset of Fox. um, And they brought along with them about 10 properties in which they manage. So these were well-operated businesses, but not core assets that were going to be uh, growth growth objectives for those larger companies. So we were able to acquire both of those, and these do serve as the core part of our business. We now are the second largest multimedia rights operator in the country, which is a great piece of business. We have a lot of work to continue making those successful. Now, how do we take that and, and kind of grow above that and bring innovation above that? So you refer to our, our areas of focus, our business units, One of the early on acquisitions of Playfly was CSL Gaming, um, which is an esports company. It is the largest collegiate and high school league. Okay. And, you know, there's no doubt, we all know there's tons of engagement, tons of participation in gaming and esports. And it's being played on many of our clients' campuses and, and, and campuses beyond that. So we want to be able to bring to our university partners and our non-university partners, our soon-to-be partners, the ways for them to formalize esports on campus. That could be through campus initiatives. It could be through the athletic department. But instead of just knowing that you know some majority percentage of your students are playing esports, how can we help them put some structure and resources behind formalizing that? and accepting it and, you know, basically helping foster that environment. No differently than if you said, you know, 50% of all the kids like to play pickup basketball, you would build more intramural programs and, and get that going. Sure. Yeah. So esports is a big initiative for us. We have another area that we uh, call our, our uh, digital platforms and technology. And this is really the, the growth area for us, but it starts with everything from developing websites, mobile apps, digital OTT platforms, streaming services, subscription programs for our existing collegiate clients and high school clients and the clients that we don't work with today. And maybe we will never be their multimedia rights partner, but we could help them develop an OTT streaming platform. Um, So we're big believers in the growth of our digital platforms in our technology business because you know we all know and it's only been amplified by the past year that fans are just consuming more and more satisfying their thirst for their favorite teams more and more through digital platforms and that's not just they're following them on Twitter and Instagram it's they're streaming they're watching clips um, you just can't seem to get enough content out to your fans um, and and now we're finding ways to use content as a as a fan engagement tool. Um, so that's our digital platforms and technology section. Um, we also now have a, a great naming rights and entitlement business okay. brought in through another acquisition. It's a group called Impression Sports. Um, we think the up and down sports, high school, college, Olympic, and pro, there is a dire need for more revenue um, just given the past year. And there are assets that are being created or being um, 
are being re-looked at as far as would we be willing to put a name on something? Um, you see it with Major League Baseball is evaluating field signage, sure. helmet decals, jersey yeah. patches on the NBA. These are all high dollar value, high net value assets that aren't just a simple sponsorship sale. They take a different type of sale. And we have a group that is dedicated to doing, again, everything from facility naming rights to bowl game entitlements to jersey patch deals. Um, so we're big believers in, in that as a growth area, just given the need to drive more revenues to individual properties. The final area of our business, which I think is the, in a way, the quietest monster that we have, <laughs> it was an acquisition of a company called Home Team Sports. And Home Team Sports is a national sales agency um, that reaches across all every single regional sports network in the United States. So unbeknownst to many sports properties, as we do sell, successfully sell across every single MLB, NHL, NBA, many collegiate properties through these regional sports networks. So we have a platform that is talking with national buyers national brands and we're delivering hyper local content and the ability to reach multiple markets in a single evening in a month um, so it's very very successful part of the business and i think outside of the media buying world home team sports is is a quiet name um, but it is it is a behemoth within that space and a behemoth within our company so that's an area that we are excited about the national, national and regional sales capabilities that they can bring to all of the hyper-local properties that we have under our umbrella. Home Team Sports. Now, did they start out in the Washington, D.C. area? Am I, am I correct in saying that or not? Uh, I am not sure. The only reason I say that is because Vlad and I, as you know, we went to Georgetown together, and I remember majority of Georgetown's games were on Home Team Sports, and we're talking about 1990, which is when when we started. Yeah. So, and it wasn't that big at the time. So this has come full circle for us, anyway. And obviously, they're a lot bigger now. They were just they were just broadcasting, you know, some college basketball games that weren't big enough to get on to CBS, for example, or ESPN. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting the business um, as you look up and down from national platforms to local. You look at how media is consumed from local, you know, up to larger resources. I mean, newspapers are struggling to provide local content, but yet local sports still hold tremendous value and tremendous, they, they garner tremendous attention. You know, we read and hear about ratings, television ratings across sports, dipping significantly, dipping a little bit. Those are usually, and you look at that on national broadcast, but the local the local ratings still deliver well um, because we all still have a built a, a strong affinity for the properties that we follow. And we're going to, I'm going to watch the Phillies games on television um, and I'm going to consume Phillies games. Um, and the Phillies are not a national broadcast property. So it's a really interesting business that um, home team sports has built a great network across these and, uh, and they've been successful. Haynes, you have articulated, you know, the broad range of service offerings that you have for your clients. 
yet you started only effectively six, seven months ago. And it sounds like your very rapid growth has come by way, largely by way of acquisition. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Okay. And was this the plan from the start uh, that you and your team were going to identify or perhaps had already identified um, these properties that you were looking to acquire uh, to form your portfolio? Yeah, there were there were acquisitions to start. You know, the Outfront Sports and the CSL Esports acquisitions were were at the the genesis of the the company launching. Um, the there were and are many other acquisition targets that have gone faster than I think we we would have imagined. So there's you know the, our our growth strategy is definitely through organic growth. Um, but it, there's also, you know, through some acquisitions um, and th- those will continue to evolve. But I don't think we necessarily anticipated seven months into our existence, we'd be where we are right now. It went a, a bit faster for a variety of reasons. Um, but yes, I mean, we, we were built right out of the gate through some acquisitions, um, certainly expecting our organic growth to to carry us through and and be able when we see an opportunity to add on top of that with future acquisitions we, we'd be going after that. And has that come through? Has your funding for these acquisitions come through internally? Is this something that your your founding shareholders, for example, have funded, or have you got some outside funding in to to ramp up so quickly by way of acquisition? Yes, yeah, so our, our our two primary stakeholders are a company Access Holdings out of Baltimore yeah. and Sinclair Broadcasting Group, which has some experience in, in this space. Okay. Um, outside of that, it's uh, probably a few other individuals that are involved, but but th- that's it. It's not, it's not a, a very wide base there. If I can add, I think with Sinclair, it's, they have a very wide base of investment opportunity, <laughs> I suppose, right? That's a, that's a, it's a big organization. Um, media organization in the in the in the country Correct. so i mean i think this is an interesting move haynes as you explain sort of all the different things that you guys do you know it it sort of struck me there's a there's a lot there um and um it's interesting to me to sort of understand kind of you know as as an entrepreneur also you know you, you're you're doing things because you're also following where the where the revenue is right i mean this is probably one of your one of your biggest uh, you know areas of you know focus so one of the things that we talked a little bit about to kind of really help us sort of nail down kind of how you know a, a you know typical if you want to call it offering might look like is through kind of a you know a case study and you guys have a pretty deep engagement with um, LSU. Would would you be able to sort of give us a sense of kind of how you guys work with that one school and sort of provide a perspective on how these different capabilities can come into play? Yeah. So in essence. We have to be great servants of any of our properties. Like we are not there to jam a bunch of ideas that we think are going to create money for us. Um, that they might work at an LSU, but they might not work at a University of Denver. Sure. Yeah. So we have to buy into the fact that we are there to operate the LSU brand and to be great stewards of that business going forward. LSU is a great example of where, I mean, that is a massive, massive property. And uh, we have been through so many roller coasters with that property. 
I think somewhere in the first year of that property, us uh, operating that property, um, Hurricane Katrina hit. Okay. So, so it was like right out of the gate, you know, you're going through issues, okay? Issues that are way beyond your control, your client's control. And all you can really do is get with them and dedicate yourself. Because again, as a steward of their property, how are we going to help get to the other side of this together? Right. So we are very, very big believers in the quality of the people that we're putting on campus. They are an extension of the university. As much as we want to do at a corporate level to push ideas down, they have to be able to execute and it has to match what the university's mission and objectives are. So as we have gone through a variety of roller coasters throughout LS, our time, our 15 years at LSU, business has changed. I mean, look, I'm sure if we looked at our agreement in 2005 with LSU and, and how we're operating the business today, it, you know, there's things that weren't even thought of back then. But you have to continually evolve, modify, um, and react to the expectations and, and what's, what you have to play with at hand um, from your university partner. But at the same time, you know, as, as digital has become bigger, as website development has become bigger, sure. as recruiting has taken on different forms, we do feel the need to provide our university clients with access to those types of platforms. They may not want them all, um, and we have to do what they want us to do. But um, once we take that direction, we have to be successful at it and be able to help them monetize that. A couple of good examples recently in, in my short time here of how we have taken, been able to evolve that is, um, one example is um, of eSports. Um, we were able to help them get formalized there and we are hosting our virtual grand finals across our CSL eSports league virtually at LSU. And we are seeing some record-breaking views and, you know, it's a function of formalizing it and putting some structure around it. Right. Um, not necessarily a function of more kids are gaming, but it's we've been able to help create a, um, a an engagement opportunity and in, in allowing our partners at LSU to be the, the hosts of that. So they get to see some benefit of that. And, and that's just because we're able to bring these solutions to them. Other evolving areas really are, are digitally focused. Um, we've been able to take their, their website and their mobile applications to another level. Um, we do believe we have to continue delivering content to fans through those digital platforms. So that will be continue to be a, uh, a growing area of how we, we raise the LSU brand and raise the ability for fans to engage with the LSU brand um, beyond having to be in the stadium or in the market or on their email newsletter database. So those are those are a couple of quick areas in which I think we've been successful in leading LSU forward. Let me play a little bit of a little bit of devil's advocate, if I may. Sure. You've said that core principles are driven by what your clients want, you know, what their what they stand for, what their philosophy is, particularly on the collegiate side. Are you being guided or encouraged by those corporate brands who wish to associate with uh, some of your clients? 
in terms of product offering or uh, brand positioning as you create these structures, which obviously allow for you know these corporate brands to to present themselves you know to to the campuses to the to the to the students you know even to the to the to the athletic um, programs are they in any way exerting any kind of influence over how you go about creating new revenue streams or new platforms or new structures for the colleges yeah i, I say it's a healthy balance because you know a brand let's just say you're a, a Fortune 100 brand. I mean, you have your brand initiatives, you have your your goals, your your campaigns, um, and you want to deliver that at a local level. Um, and you want to you want to leverage the equity LSU has with their fan base, so, right? And so you want to be able to to get to them. However, I think brands realize we need to we're, we're not in market. So we need to be creative. We need to lean on the experts, the stewards of that brand. And this is where, you know, even I could introduce to the general manager down at LSU, like, here's a lead. They're really interested. But what would resonate with a football fan or a basketball fan in that market? So I think that's where the creative juice is and why it's so important to have that local local staff and and a, a great local staff that knows what's important to the athletic director, the coaching staff, the the, the donor department. Um, and, and so they can help customize that that flavor and that spin, but yet still satisfy those national objectives. You mentioned high school as well. How is that going? And are there any issues with, again, corporate brands uh, being present uh, in an environment which you know, it's still essentially children, you know, they're under 18. Yeah. Obviously, you have to pick and choose carefully which brands and which products, you know, are are associated with high schools. But just the whole principle of, you know, the, the, the corporatization or the branding, if you like, of whether it's an athletic program or whether it's a gym or whether it's an event. Uh, are there any issues there? Or is this pretty much par for the course? Maybe I'm speaking from a European perspective, which where this isn't really very prominent right now. A couple of things to touch on there. Um, you are right. There, there probably is a, a little bit more governance of what are restricted categories that you do not want to go down that path uh, just because we are dealing with, with kids. At the same time, there's a lot of people that want to get to kids and families. Um, our high school business is focused on working with high school state associations. Um, so we aren't working with, uh, typically working with individual high schools and trying to represent their rights. So in the example of working with uh, the CIF, which is the California Interscholastic Federation or Nevada or Washington or Oregon, we are helping represent their marketing rights at the state level, which basically boils down to a lot of state championship events and, and the state association state association run events. So we are taking a traditional multi-market, multimedia rights um, approach to those properties and trying to sell corporate sponsorships, helping them leverage some digital assets to further their engagement with uh, students and families that are associated with California uh, high school athletics, for example. Understood. 
it is a new business. Um, most of these state associations are still independently operated or run out of a state office. We uh, there there are a couple of players in the space that are starting to professionalize it. Um, we represent about twenty five percent of student athletes in the United States, and um, it's it's quickly growing part of our business. That's a very significant number. That that's a big number. Yeah. Yeah, Haynes. What's also interesting about this is that you know sports is as you know we all know here is evolving very rapidly, and it will continue to do so. But you know here in the U.S. and especially in the in the college instead of high school level, what I what I think, what we think is going to be very impactful is this uh, whole name, image, and likeness kind of thing coming up, right? I'm, you know, curious from everything that you've discussed so far, you know, you help schools, you help kind of associations, you help sort of the organizers of the sports, if you will, right, to kind of monetize their, uh, you know, content essentially, right? Are you guys thinking about how you might also be able to help athletes? Uh, my sense is when NIL kicks out, you know, you're not going to have kids arriving on a college campus, you know, day one and then start to think about it. They're probably going to be working with, you know, their own kind of brands and social media <laughs> outlets even while they're in high school, right? So they'll just they'll just convert that into whatever wherever they're going next. And I'm curious to see, you know, how you guys are thinking about this and you know how that might be evolving as we speak. I mean, th- there's so many questions out there, uh, you know, is we we don't all know what what is the field of play? What are the rules going to be? What are you going right. to be allowed to do, not allowed to do? So um, the simple answer to your question is yes, and we're just trying to become as educated as possible. Now, there, there's two paths in which we feel like we need to be focused on. One, we have to be great partners to our university clients, and that is through guidance, helping educate them, helping them be prepared to protect themselves and their student athletes. You know, there is some concern that all of a sudden it's going to open up wide, you know, is a 18, 19 year old really prepared to understand what they are getting themselves into? You're going to make some money. You're going to have to pay taxes on that money too. So there are so many things in which we just have to make sure we are educating our university partners and they're doing it themselves as well. But are there any resources that we can provide? You know, can we help educate the students and and just provide any kind of Um, protection for them. Where could we help play a role in facilitating some of these opportunities? We may be able to, we may not be able to. Sure. We're trying to, without coming up with a a thousand different initiatives and business models and waiting to decide, you know, we're, we're just trying to stay as educated as possible, building close relationships with other vendors in the space, just knowing that we're all going to be in this together. But I, I do think once it launches, you know, there are going to be athletes that are going to be out there making, making some money. There's going to be a large, large majority, 90 plus percent of athletes that are not going to be making money. And I think we're, you know, there's no way you could even dream up all the rules coming out of the gate as to, to how to monitor this and, and put fences around it. So it'll evolve. And, you know, we would love to be able to Make sure that our university partners are positioned in a way that we have some partners that really look at this as an opportunity for recruitment. 
should a student right. think I can go get an education, play a sport, and I can make some money? And the university is going to help foster that as, as best they can. There are other universities that might be a little bit more governing of this and, and, and protective of this. So we just have to provide our partners with the, the best amount of information as we can and any resources internally, externally, through other partners that we can bring to that. We feel like that's our job for our, our clients. As you, uh, you've been in the sports world now for many years, um, you've, you've seen things kind of from the inside, from a, from a you know, team side, also from a, from, a, from a league side. As you look at kind of what is happening in the sports world today, what are some of the big drivers that you think are going to shape you know, professional, amateur, however you want to call it, you know, sports in the next five years? Yeah, well, the biggest driver is just the change in consumption. I do think even when we get to this point of buildings being 100% open, people have learned how to satisfy their appetite for sports without having to be there. I don't think that diminishes the value of being at an event. There's nothing that will ever beat that. But I believe somebody might not feel they have to be at 10 events. Maybe they can go to five um, and they can satisfy their appetite for sports in many other ways. That isn't necessarily a bad thing for properties. It, it actually grows the way at which they're engaging with them. So this changing in consumption, how are fans consuming sports is definitely a driver that to pay attention to. Female sports, I think there is going to be a uh, some some amplification of that. I think you will see some um, sponsors, big sponsors, start to get behind that, and that's a little bit of the chicken or the egg. Like some of some of these female sports need something to help rise it to the next level. And is it going to be broadcasting? Is it going to be sponsors? And something's going to help raise some of those leagues. And, and there's more and more of them coming out every day. And I think one of the last areas that we'll see driving, um, you know, I'm, this is this is it's all over the news right now of how gaming and sports betting is right. is going to. Uh, I mean, it's definitely a revenue, a new source of revenue for us all here. I'm curious what it will do ten years down the road to fan behaviors. Um, you know, I have a ten year old son who. I got to gather, he's just used to not seeing, I used to be excited when I saw scores going across the bottom of the screen. He's going to see lines um, and betting lines. And yeah. so what will that be to him 10 years from now? Will he, will he be as interested? I know he'll be interested in sports, but it will be a different level of interest. And, and that, along with other restricted categories, traditionally restricted categories that have now become opened up. You know, gaming used to be something we wouldn't touch. Well, you know, cannabis become much more widely accepted. Um, and what's the next thing two years from now that we're not even thinking about? So those are all areas that are, I think, are going to transform very, very quickly. Can I just touch very briefly on one of the things you just mentioned, which is a, a huge topic. So it's not, you know, controversial. Well, maybe it is controversial, but how much, if at all, uh, has your team been talking about how you might get involved in sports betting, especially as an organization that's focusing on digital. Are you looking for any opportunities where you can become part of the ecosystem? Well, the first part is part of our core business. Um, we are, you know, we want to make sure that our, 
our schools, our university partners are prepared when they are ready to, to, to get into that themselves. But we have established a partnership with a company called U.S. Integrity um, that helps track the legitimacy and any movements in sports betting. So we are that's something that was launched uh, just a couple of weeks ago, that partnership. And we think that will help our university partners and any of our partners move into this area with a better level of comfort. I'd like to ask one question, which I meant to ask earlier. I was just very interested to understand, just as an example, you mentioned that uh, media marketing rights, MMR is one of your core businesses or maybe your core business. Can you give an example as to how that business model works? I would just throw it out there and you can please tell me where I'm right and where I'm not right. Will a college hand over to you their media rights for example, and then it's up to your organization to package them up, find the most appropriate and the best uh, revenue streams uh, and sort of return on that brand that they have been established have been establishing over a number of years. Do you have any kind of minimum guaranteed payments as a result of uh, receiving you know the opportunity to have exclusivity over that brand or those rights rather? Yeah, so you, you described it very well in a nutshell. We work with a, a university, and, and because universities are at all sizes and shapes, um, they offer different sports, um, they, they all look a little different. But in essence, we are saying to that university, allow us to be your partner to package these multimedia rights and help bring sponsors to engage with through these, through your athletic department, to your extended fan base. And so the form of that um, partnership can look like a guarantee. We may guarantee them X, and we are therefore hoping that we are going to sell above X so that we can recoup our costs, we can make some money, and the university can make money beyond that guarantee. Um, We have other partnerships in which we are saying arm in arm, we think we can do this better together and we are going to share in revenues and and going forward. So there are a lot of different ways in which that model can be put together. Um, But you are correct. We are being brought in as a professional organization to help help them better leverage their rights um, and bring in some revenue dollars across their athletic assets. Thank you. Thanks for that. Haynes, to uh, close us off here, tell us a little bit about you know where can people find out more about Playfly and uh, learn more about what your organization does. Yeah, so in a quick seven months, we're we're trying to get our our story, our voice. As you guys can imagine, we've got a lot of acquisitions, so we have voices that we're trying to package into one. But um, you know, we do feel like we are um, putting together a more cohesive message, certainly through our our website, our social channels, our website is playfly.com. We have a, a growing voice on, on Twitter and, and, uh, and certainly through LinkedIn. And uh, I think, you know, we, we're about to be launching a little podcast series of our own soon called On the Fly, um, focusing on some of our collegiate and high school properties and initiatives. And you know, we're just getting started. So we're, we're trying to get our arms around this and and tell that best story possible. So 
again, here we sit seven months in. Um, I'm sure as we get to the year anniversary, we'll have a, a better message um, to tell out there, a better story to tell. Excellent. Another two or three acquisitions, perhaps in the next few months as well, at the rate you guys are going. We will see. We'll see how we'll it goes. Watch this space. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, Haynes, thank you so much once again. Really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, stay safe and hope to be in touch with you shortly um, with the updates on what's happening with your organization. Thank you both. Appreciate your time. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Haynes. All the best. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. We know that if you're listening to this show, we know that you know how to subscribe to podcasts. So hit that subscribe button. Tell your friends and your family about us. And if you'd like to get in touch, please connect with us. Our contact information is in the show notes. Thank you for listening. We'll be in the game with you in a few days with our new episode.